Welcome in to Ohio vs. the World, an exclusive Ohio sports podcast where I discuss the Buckeyes, Browns, Cavaliers, Indians, Blue Jackets, Crew, Bengals, Red, Reds, and more. I'm your host, Jacob Wilson, and today I have a great podcast laid out for you. Um, first, we'll dive into the Buckeyes. They beat Nebraska Saturday, 36-31 to at the shoe. Um, and then I'll dive a little bit deeper into some more college football scores. It's a great weekend in college football. Um, some big matchups this weekend. Then I'll jump into the Browns. They lost the Chiefs 37-21. to I'll talk a little bit about that and then dive more into some NFL scores. A big weekend in the NFL as well. I'll just talk a little bit about those games. Um, then I'll talk about the Cavs and Blue Jackets. Um, they've played a few games since my last podcast, so I'll jump into those scores, those games, and then a little bit of news surrounding those teams as well. And then the crew, they uh, had a playoff game Sunday that they beat the New York Red Bulls 1-0, so I'll jump into that. I was actually there, so I'll talk a little bit about being there and just the game itself. Um, they beat the New York Red Bulls 1-0 Sunday at home, so I'll jump into all those things today. Um, so first, let's start with Ohio State. Ohio State took on Nebraska in the shoe, uh, noon Eastern on Fox, and they won 36-31. to Obviously, this is a 2-6 and six Nebraska team. This is a team Ohio State was kind of hoping to blow out of the water after the struggles against Purdue two weeks ago. They uh, they lost 49-20 to 20, uh, 20 in that game, I believe. So they're looking to bounce back and have a better game. And obviously they got the W. That's important. But this is still a 2-7 two and, two and seven Nebraska team now that they've lost to us. And um, I think they are better than their record, but they're still 2-7. and seven. They're still Nebraska. Nebraska football has been rough now for two decades. And this is a team that Ohio State should be blowing out or at least doing better than winning by five points. Um, of course, the score is a little generous for Nebraska, but still you got to be doing better than beating Nebraska by five points. Um, so some of my main takeaways was momentum shifting plays were huge in this game for Ohio State. Um, well, they're huge in the game, but not for Ohio State. But um, it seemed like most of the momentum shifting plays were going the way of Nebraska. Um, one of the first huge momentum shifting plays was when Ohio State was up 16-7 to against Nebraska. They were on Nebraska's, I think, 30-yard line or so, maybe even 25. They're driving. And then Nebraska gets a takeaway. They get a strip sack on Joanne Haskins. And they immediately go down and score on that drive. Um, that was a huge momentum shifter. If Ohio State goes down and scores there, they're up 23-7. to And um, possibly, I talked about this on my other podcast with JT, possibly Nebraska gets disheartened. They kind of know it's out of reach now. And then maybe Ohio State from there goes on and wins the game by maybe three to four touchdowns. But that's, that's football. That's sports in general. One play can change the whole course of a game. And I think that was one of those plays that you look back on and you say if that play is different, if Ohio State scores on that drive instead of it ending in a strip sack and Nebraska going down and scoring, that's going to end up being a huge thing in the course of the game. And it was. And then um, immediately on the next drive, there's a huge momentum shifting play as well. So I talked about there's the strip sack on Jawane. Um, Nebraska goes down and scores, makes it 16-14. to 14. And then on one of the first few plays of Ohio State's next drive, um, they get a nice 30-yard play to K.J. Hill. But right at the end of his 30-yard run, um, he fumbles the ball. Nebraska recovers that fumble, and they score on the next drive, and all of a sudden they're up 21-16. I believe they took the lead 21-16 going into halftime. Um, I don't think the game was ever in doubt necessary to lose, um, but of course those two momentum-shifting plays were huge in terms of at least Ohio State not being able to blow out Nebraska, which was something they really needed to do just for themselves, for their own confidence, but as well as for the committee. Um, and you know, proving to the committee that they're a better team than beating a two-win Nebraska team by five points. So yeah, 36-31, definitely not good enough. Um, some other things to get into. The run game, well, there's a lot of problems coming into this Ohio State game. Uh, we all know the run game. We all know the red zone offense. 
Um, and we all know about the defense in general and more specifically the linebackers in the secondary have been a bit of a problem. Not a bit of a problem. They've been a problem for Ohio State football. Um, the first thing was the run game was better. Def- a lot better, actually. Um, Nebraska's not an awful run team. I think they rank like 70th or so nationally. So right in the middle of the road. Um, their pass offense is a lot worse than their run offense, run defense, I mean, sorry, um, and run and pass defense. So, yeah, their pass, um, their run defense is a lot better than their pass defense, so that is the strength of their team. So it was good to see us run against them. J.K. Dobbins had 23 carries. He went for 163 yards, um, 7.1 yard per average, uh, and three touchdowns. Mike Weber went for nine carries, 91 yards, uh, 10 yards per average. Um, he did not have a touchdown, but yeah. So about 250 or so yards between the two of them. Um, That's pretty solid. That's a lot better than what we've seen. We've seen them be around 100, 150 yards the last few weeks uh, combined. So a lot better there. Definitely improved against a Nebraska team that's not great against the run, but um, it's the strong suit of their defense. Not that their defense is that good, but it's at least a better part of their defense, and we did well against that. Um, And a lot better than we have been doing in the run game. So that was good to see. Um, some other takeaways was the other problems like the defense. It was still very lackluster. Not a lot of problems were fixed. Um, Nebraska scored 31 points against us. Points aren't everything, but it is a big indicator. You don't want to be giving up 31 points against Nebraska team. Yes, they do have a great, they do have a pretty good offense. That's more the strong suit of their team in general offense compared to defense, but still you don't want to give up 31 points to Nebraska. Um, Adrian Martinez played really well. I liked what I saw from him. He's going to be a good quarterback in college football, I believe. He went for he went 22 of 33 uh, for 266 yards, 8-yard average, uh, one touchdown, zero interceptions. He had a better QBR than Joanne Haskins. Um, and then he carried the ball 20 times for 72 yards and he had two touchdowns, actually. So he had three total touchdowns on the day. He played really well. He was a big problem for Ohio State. Um, I talked about this coming into the game that he reminds me a lot of Trace McSorley. Obviously not as talented as Trace McSorley yet. He's still a true fres- freshman. But he reminds me a lot of Trace McSorley, and we saw how many problems we had with him. And I mean, he being a uh, running quarterback, and he ran the ball 20 times. He ran it the exact same amount of, as the uh, leading running back for Nebraska. So he ran the ball a lot. Um, he was a bit, of pro- a bit of a problem for the Buckeyes, running it 20 times for 72 yards. And he also did well in the passing game, so... Yeah, we're not seeing a ton of improvement on this defense. I think it was better than what we saw. We saw him give up 49 points to Purdue, obviously. Um, but yeah, not not as good as we want to see it. I think all of the problems that Ohio State had got a little bit better uh, through the bye week, as you'd expect. But not they didn't get as much better as we were hoping they would they would get. Um, other things, Brandon White. This was a big thing, talking about the defense. Um, yes, the defense didn't play great. But Brandon White kind of shined. Uh, Fuller went out early in the game with a targeting call that was BS. Um, I'm not really going to get into that, though. So Jordan Fuller goes out with targeting, and then Brandon White comes in, someone who's I don't really think has played for the Buckeyes yet. I at least haven't heard of him before he came into this game, and he played great. He had 13 tackles, led the team in tackles, led the team in solo tackles with eight, and led the team in tackles for loss with two. Um, this is something I've talked about a lot. We got a lot of five-star freshmen and sophomore sophomores on the bench. And I think if this defense continues to not play up to their ability, that some of these younger guys should come in. I mean, they're five stars. They know they got talent. And if the guys that are starting right now are going to are going to continue to are going to continue to not play that well, then maybe we should put these guys in and see what they got at least. Um, what else? What else do we got here? Um, that's pretty much it for Ohio State. Um, momentum shifting plays were huge for them. 
Um, the run game was a lot better. J.K. Dobbins especially had a big game. Uh, the defense is still a little lackluster. Um, it got, I think it got a little bit better, not a ton better, but there's still a lot of work to do on the defense. And then Brandon White came in and shined. Um, what does that mean for the rest of the young guys on the team? Should maybe some more young guys be coming in on defense and maybe even the offense in positions where we're lacking and not, not playing well enough? Should more young guys be given a chance? Um, I think they should be. Uh, so now other college football scores. Um, let's jump into some other college football scores here. Um, I'll go top 25. So Clemson, number two, Clemson beat Louisville 77 to 16. A great win for Clemson. I mean, anytime you beat Louisville by 50 points, that's just, that's pretty unbelievable. So great scoreline for them. Um, Washington State, a team that was ahead of Ohio State coming into this week. They beat California 19 to 13. I think they won on one of the last plays of the game. So good win for them. Missouri beats number 11 Florida 38 to 17. West Virginia beats Texas 42-41. Tom Herman goes down here. West Virginia tied it up late at 41-41. They went for or they, it was 41-40. Texas late. West Virginia scores a touchdown to make it 41-40. Goes for two and gets it. Um, so big big play there. Arizona State beats number 15 Utah 38-20. Purdue beats number 16 Iowa 38-36. So I guess that's a decent Decent win there for Ohio State fans. Good to see Purdue still a good team and beating good teams like Iowa. Iowa's ranked 16th here, so good win for them. Syracuse beats Wake Forest uh, 41-24. Syracuse is ranked 19th. We'll see where that tonight in the College Football Playoff Committee's rankings. Should be around 15, so that's pretty awesome for Syracuse. Um, they're really up there in the rankings, probably the highest they've ever been. Uh, Texas A&M, number 20, lost to unranked Auburn 28-24. NC State beat Florida State 47-28. Boston College, number 22, beat Virginia Tech 31-21. Good win for them. Iowa State uh, won 27-3 over Kansas. Uh, they're, ranked, they were, they're ranked 24th. Fresno State ranked 23, beats UNLV 48-3. Uh, Mississippi State ranked 18, beats Louisiana Tech 45-3. What else do we have here? Um, Oklahoma, a team above Ohio State, so an important game. They beat Texas Tech 51-46. So close one. They only won by five, similar to how the Buckeyes won by five against a team they were better in, better than. But, uh, yeah, you want to see Texas Tech win that game if you're an Ohio State fan. They came close to it but just weren't good enough. Um, they lose 51-46, they lose 50, 51-46, sorry. Struggling a little bit today. Um, Georgia, number six in the country, takes on Kentucky in what was basically an SEC East. Actually, it was because whoever won this clinched the SEC East, so it was an SEC East uh, final as much as people were hyping it up, so it was a big game. Georgia wins 34-17 over number 9 Kentucky, uh, so Kentucky will drop below Ohio State for sure. Um, and then Michigan, they beat Penn State 42-7. to Big win for Michigan. They look really good this year. Um, obviously, we're all Ohio State fans on this podcast, so that's something we'll talk about when we get closer to that game. Um, that's going to be tough. Michigan's really good this year. I think they're going to come into the shoe and be favored probably by two and a half to three and a half points or so. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. We still have two big games with Michigan State and Maryland, but big win there for Michigan. Um, they dominate a Penn State, Penn State team that Ohio State needed a miracle basically to beat. Obviously it was on the road for Ohio State and it wasn't for Michigan, but still they went 42 to seven over 14th ranked Penn State. Um, Notre Dame, number four, beats Northwestern 31-21. Northwestern made this game interesting late. Notre Dame was up 24-7 with like 10 or so minutes left. 
Then Northwestern made it 24-14. Then they got a stop on Notre Dame. They forced a punt. They blocked the punt. They scored a few plays after that to make it 24-21, but then Notre Dame scored a touchdown to put it away, 31-21. And then finally, the game of the night, um, at least it was being hyped up as the game of the night. It didn't end up being a great game, but number one, Alabama beats LSU um, in Death Valley, 29-0. Man, Alabama looks good. (laughs) I don't think there's any doubt that this Alabama team is probably going to win the national championship this year. Anything can happen because it's college football and all that has to happen is you lose one game. It's not like the MLB or NHL or basketball where it's a series. Um, so anything can happen, of course. But, man, this Alabama team looks good. So does this Clemson team. I talked about them winning by 50 over Louisville. Those two teams are kind of separating themselves as the class of college football, as they have for the past four or five years or so. And there's a good chance that those two teams are going to take each other on in the uh, – College football playoff final, uh, the national championship. So, yeah, huge win for Alabama. Um, I do want to address that atmosphere in Death Valley, though. Credit to the LSU fans, man. That atmosphere was crazy for the beginning of the game when the game was still close. Um, but, yeah, Alabama wins it in a bit of a crockpotting, I'd say. Um, they didn't just blow them out. They kind of started off slow and just continued to accumulate more and more points throughout the game and to the point where they'd pretty much run away with it. They went 29-0. Um, a huge win to go on the road to Death Valley and win 29-0 in that atmosphere and pitch a shutout. Um, LSU's offense isn't the greatest, but still a good shutout there for Alabama, a good win for them. They are just the class of college football as they have been for the last 10 or 15 years. Um, so now moving on, actually not moving on yet, I still have where do I think Ohio State should be ranked in tonight's college football rankings. There's a few teams to look out for tonight in Ohio State's in the rankings um, if you're a Ohio State fan. So Ohio State obviously will be one team, but then there's West Virginia, LSU, and Washington State. Um, We were below Washington State last week, and they won this week, so I see no reason why we'd move above them, but I guess you never know. Um, They did struggle with the California team, but we struggled with Nebraska. So, Um, And then there's LSU. I just talked about LSU. They lost to Alabama 29-0. They're going to be a two-loss team, but they have lost to Alabama and Florida, two pretty good teams. And, I mean, you're expected to lose to Alabama, so I'll be very interested to see if Ohio State is above or below LSU. I mean, the AP poll, Ohio State is 8, I believe, and LSU is 9. So the AP poll has LSU below Ohio State. Um, Will the College Football Rankings Committee, I think that will say a lot about how they view Ohio State if they're putting two lost teams above Ohio State. And then um, finally, what was the last one I wanted to get into here? Um, Oklahoma will be in there too. Um, They'll probably be above us. They beat a Texas Tech team. Yes, they struggled, but they were ahead of us before. We struggled with Nebraska. They struggled with Texas Tech, a better team. So they'll still be ahead of us. And then West Virginia was the final team I wanted to get into. They were ranked 13th this last week, while Ohio State was ranked 10th in the College Football Playoff Committee rankings. And they beat Texas, a 17th-ranked team. Um, Yes, they only won by one point. They needed the two-point conversion at the end to win it. But still a great win for West Virginia. They get a good win while we just get a lackluster win against Nebraska and struggle doing it. So will West Virginia move ahead of Ohio State? Will they jump us? Um, I think if they do, that also says a lot about how this committee views Ohio State. So that'll be interesting. Ohio State could be ranked anywhere from 7th to 10th tonight, I think, uh, depending on those teams there. If I had to guess, give my own um, own thoughts, I would probably put Ohio State at 8. Um, I would say West Virginia's ahead of us with that win against Texas. But I think LSU with two losses should be below us. I don't think Florida. I think Florida's actually a pretty bad loss. I think Florida will continue to lose throughout the season and become a worse loss throughout the season. Um Yes, Alabama's a good team, but the way they lost to Alabama was pretty bad, losing 29-0. And then Washington State, 
Um, I know that Washington State will be above us, but if I had to do my own rankings, I just don't think Washington State's there. Um, I don't think we need to worry about them anyways. Ohio State fans, they'll probably lose here somewhere sooner or later, and even if Ohio State wins out, you'd expect to jump Washington State just because a Big Ten championship is worth so much more than a Pac-12 championship, at least this year, because the Pac-12 has been so rough. Um, Yeah, so I'd put them right around eight. Um, It'll be interesting to see where the committee puts them at tonight. They could put them anywhere from seven to ten, like I said, so that'll be something to look at tonight. I think tonight's a a big night if you're an Ohio State fan and you're curious if this Ohio State team wins out, can they get in? Um, I think they will if they do win out. I don't think they're going to win out, but if they do, I definitely think they'll be in. Um, so moving on here, one second. Excuse me. All right, so the Browns. Uh, now we're going to jump into the NFL and the Browns. Uh, the Browns lost yesterday 37, actually two days ago, sorry, this is a Tuesday. Um, in First Energy Stadium, the Browns lose 37-21. to 21. To the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chiefs are now eight and one. The Browns are now two six and one. Um, this was a bad loss for the not a bad loss for the Browns. This was an expected loss for the Browns. Um, you just fired your head coach. Um, you're coming in now to play probably one of the best teams in the league right now, up there with the Rams and the Saints and the Patriots. The Chiefs have been really good this year, and you got a lot of injuries on defense. So this is always going to be a hard game to win. They lose thirty seven twenty one. I think. All Browns fans expected to lose this game. I think we expected to lose it by about what we saw, two to three touchdowns. Um, that's what we did see. They lose by 16 points. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. I don't have a ton of takeaways from this game. Uh, my first one here is um, this is the first game without Hugh Jackson. How do they look? Well, they were more disciplined. Um, they had the least amount of penalties they've had all year. So that's kind of one thing. That, one reason they fired Hugh was we've been the most penalized team in the NFL. Um, so they don't get a ton of penalties this week. So that's good. Um, good to see. Uh, Duke Johnson gets more involved. That was really good to see. Duke Johnson had himself a great game. Let me pull up his stats here. He only ran the ball once, and he got eight yards out of it, so that's good. But he had nine receptions for 78 yards and two touchdowns. So this is something we saw last year with Duke Johnson. He actually ended up being the leading receiver last year for the Browns, and this game he was the leading receiver for the Browns. Like I said, nine receptions, 78 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, Two touchdowns is a big one. that's awesome to get two touchdowns, but yeah, eight point seven at eight point seven yards per per reception, um, nine reception, seventy eight yards. He had himself a really good game, and even the one time he carried the ball, he got eight yards. Um, another takeaway: Nick Chubb. I think he continues to impress. He had twenty two carries for eighty five yards and a touchdown, only four yards per carry, but he kind of does what you want him to do. He wears down the defense. He gets in the end zone. I think he. I think. Getting rid of Carlos Hyde, although he was a great player, it was a good move. You get rid of that cap space, and you let Nick Chubb gain some experience, and you get Duke Johnson more touches, and we know how explosive he is. So I think I like that move um, overall. Um, the defense suffers a lot of injuries. I know Denzel Ward ended up getting hurt. Christian Kirksey ended up getting hurt. Joe Schobert, Joe Schobert didn't even play the game, I don't think. So hopefully we get those guys back. Um, we have a bye week coming up after Atlanta this weekend. Against we play the Falcons in First Energy Stadium on Sunday. So, yeah, a lot of injuries there. That was a lot of the problems. You get a lot of injuries, and now you're playing the best team and football, uh, the best offensive team in the NFL right now in the Chiefs. So, we just couldn't stop them on uh, defense. I think they averaged like nine yards per play or something like that. So, they just dominated us on defense. And yeah, that's why I think some of this loss, you just kind of chalk it up as what can you do? Um, you have a lot of injuries on defense. You're playing the best offense in the NFL. You just fired your coach. Um, it was always going to be a tough game. I think the way they hung around was impressive. Um, yeah, you want to see them 
at least you want to see him win, of course. But if he if they do lose, you want to see him lose by less than sixteen points. But still, overall a little bit impressive. Um, final takeaway here: How did Baker look? Um, at least stat wise. I by the way, full disclosure: I haven't watched this game because I was at the Crew game Sunday, and it was a great Crew game to go to because I knew I'm a huge Browns fan, obviously, and I knew that this game was going to be rough. So I knew this would be the perfect Crew game to go to. Uh, but the Baker Mayfield. He goes 29 of 42 for 297 yards, so basically 300 yards there. In passing, two touchdowns and one interception. Um, Yeah, I've heard that he played about average, about what we've seen from him all year. A few mistakes here and there. He had the interception, which ended up being a big interception because the Browns were down two scores driving late to get it to one score game. So maybe if you get that touchdown, who knows what ends up happening. But kind of a costly interception, but still 29 of 42 is a pretty good completion percentage. And then 300 yards of passing is pretty solid. Uh, and two touchdown throws, which is good. Um, both to Duke Johnson, yeah. So I thought he looked about he looked about average. Um, he continues to look like a franchise QB, in my opinion. I don't think he's going to be the greatest QB of all time or anything, but I think he's going to be at least a good QB. And he's going to be someone who can at least get the Browns when they have a good roster and a good head coach around him. Eight to somewhere from maybe 7 to 11, 12 wins every single season, so... Hopefully that's what we see here soon for the Browns. Um, finally, more NFL scores. Let's jump into that here. One second. Um, big weekend in the NFL here. So the Falcons beat the Redskins 38-14. The Vikings beat the Lions 24-9. The Steelers, um, AFC North Division action here, beat the Ravens 23-16. We continue to see this with the Steelers. They just beat, they win big games. Um, they did it against the Bengals a few weeks ago. The Bengals were uh, leading late, and they probably should have ended up winning that game. But the Steelers, it just feels like they always find a way to win these big games, which makes sense. Good teams find a way to win win games, especially big ones. Um, the Dolphins beat the Jets 13-6. to The Bears beat the Bills 41-9. to The Panthers beat the Buccaneers 42-28. to The Chargers beat the Seahawks 25-17. to I think the Chargers have won uh, five or six straight now. The Texans beat the Broncos 19-17. to They've won six straight now, so they're really finding their own form. Uh, Talking about teams that keep on winning, the Saints. Um, I think they've won seven straight now after losing their first game against the Buccaneers, and they beat the Rams in what was probably the game of the week. Uh, they beat the Rams 45-35, to and the Rams were 8-0 before this game, so now they're 8-1. They get their first loss to the Saints here. This could be a preview of the NFC Championship game. So, um, Other big games. Patriots beat the Packers 31-17. to This was hyped up as the two best QBs in the league playing each other and two of the greatest of all-time quarterbacks playing each other um, in Rodgers versus Brady. Brady gets the edge here, as he usually does, and a lot of that has to do with him just having a better team around him. Uh, they win 31-17. And then Monday Night Football last night, the Cowboys at home in Jerry World lost to the Titans 28-14. Can't say I watched this one, but... There's a lot of news coming out about the Cowboys and how the whole organization is dysfunctional. I think Troy Aikman said something like that. So that's a big name to be say something like the whole organization is dysfunctional. So that'll be interesting to see where that goes. I think the Cowboys are at three and five now. So a rough year so far for them. And the Titans go to four and four. So turn things around a bit. That'll do it for the NFL. So we'll jump into the Cavs and Blue Jackets now. Um, Since my last podcast, the Blue Jackets have played two games, I believe. Yes. Um, we talked about on my last podcast how they were in a western, co- they were uh, in a west coast kind of uh, road trip basically. So they played the Sharks and they won four one. I talked about that in their first game on the west coast. Then they played the Kings Saturday night in L A. They lost four to one. 
And then Sunday night, they played the Anaheim Ducks, and they lost 3-2, but they lost in overtime, so they do get a point out of this. I know late into the game, the Blue Jackets were down 2-1, to and they scored a late goal with, I think, 30 seconds left to get it to 2-2. So they scored a goal with 30 seconds left to get a point out of it. They get three points out of a possible six on this West Coast, this West Coast trip. Um, that's not awful. I would like to see them at least get four out of this trip just because considering some of the teams they're playing, especially the Ducks. The Ducks have been really bad this year, and to only get a point against them, you want to get two points against them. But now they're back home. They play tonight, actually, uh, 7 p.m., so about four hours from now, and they will play the Dallas Stars. Let's look at what the Dallas Stars have done here. Um, the Dallas Stars have... It look like they have won and lost about the same amount of games, so maybe a middle-of-the-road NHL team. The Blue Jackets are a pretty good team. They're at home. They want to win this game, and then uh, I should ha- that should be the only game they play before my next podcast. So they play the Dallas Stars tonight, Nationwide Arena. They are sitting at seven six and one. You want to see them win this game tonight. Um, now moving on to the Cavs. Um, not much there for the Blue Jackets, sorry. But now moving on to the Cavs. They have played two games since my last podcast. Um, they lost to the Hornets in Charlotte, one hundred twenty six to ninety four, and they lost last night actually to the Magic in Orlando, one hundred two to one hundred. So they lose by two last night. It was actually a buzzer beater for the Magic to get the win. Um, so now the Cavs are sitting at one and nine. That's pretty brutal. Um, I think obviously now sitting at one and nine and knowing Kevin Love is going to be out for the next month and a half to two months, it's pretty much full tank mode at this point. Um, you want to try to get one of those top two or three picks and get a Zion Williamson or someone like him. Not that I know really any other names besides him entering the draft next year. So yeah, I think it's full tank mode here for the Cavs, which is unfortunate. Um, it's probably what they should do. It is what they should do. They should be tanking. But part of me really wanted to see a competitive team this year. So one, it would give me more to talk about when I do these podcasts. And two, it would just be fun to watch. Um, give me something to watch. I enjoy having a lot of sports to watch to occupy my time. So I won't be watching a ton of Cavs. I'll do my best to keep up with it um, for this podcast. But it looks like they'll go full tank mode. So it's going to be hard to watch this season. Um, there's actually a few headlines here with the Cavs outside of just scores to their games. Larry Drew, the interim head coach, has been announced that he will remain the coach through the remainder of the season. Um, So that's good to see. And then Cavs veterans call out Colin Sexton. This was an interesting one to me. Um, Basically, the Cavs veterans said that, I think the quote was like, he doesn't know how to play, which I don't really know how to interpret that. I don't mean if, I'm guessing they're saying that he's just bad. Um, It's a strange thing to say. It's a strange thing to do, to come out and Quote yourself in the media saying stuff like that about a 19-year-old kid. I mean, he's 19, he's in the NBA. Um, but they're basically saying he's not a very good point guard. He doesn't know how to distribute the ball. He's a little bit selfish. But, I mean, he's 19 years old. It's your job to kind of teach him how to play in the NBA and teach him to get better and stuff like that. So it's not good to see. There's a lot of dysfunction around this organization right now between them being 1-9 and nine and now veterans coming out and saying this and the whole J.R. Smith saga, everything that's going on with that. And then Tyron Lue's been fired now and then they hired, tried to hire Larry. They tried to make Larry Drew the interim head coach, and obviously that did work out. But at first he was like, "I don't want the job," but now he's taking it. But yeah, just a lot of dysfunction around this Cavs team right now. Unfortunate to see. I mean, we just saw four straight years of going to the finals, and now they're one and nine. Dysfunction everywhere. Things are going rough. But yeah, you don't want to see this from the veterans calling out Colin Sexton like this. He's only 19 years old. He's gonna end up being a pretty good player in the NBA, I think. But. I do see what they're saying. Like he needs, he is a point guard, so he should be distributing the ball more. And he kind of plays this 
kind of backyard basketball kind of way. He kind of plays like pickup ball the way he plays. I understand that, but still, he is young. He's still learning, so you don't like to see that. So finally, the crew. Um, this is something I'm excited to talk about. The crew won the first leg of the Eastern Conference semifinal 1-0 over the New York Red Bulls. Um, first, I was there. How was the atmosphere? Um, that's a big thing with crew lately, just because everything that happened with Save the Crew, we want to see big crowds there, and we want to see good atmospheres. Um, I want to say there's probably like 14,000, 15,000 people there, so that's good. Um, that's probably like 10,000 more than we we're seeing at FC Dallas games and stuff like that for the playoffs, so that was good to see. the atmosphere. I think there was a good amount of people there. There could have been more. I would have liked to see more, but I still think there was a fine amount of people there. I don't know what the attendance number is, the announced number, but... Just looking with my trained eye, I would say like 14,000, 15,000 people. And then the atmosphere itself was, I thought it was it was great. Um, I was sitting in the Nordec, which is the supporters section, and that was a lot of fun. The people in the supporters section were a lot of fun. It was really loud, a lot of, ta- a lot of taunting of the other team, a lot of, supporting, a lot of supporting of our team. So that was a lot of fun. Um, the crowd was really good, in my opinion. Um, moving on to, um, sorry, not moving on, but... Another point I have was this is the perfect scoreline for the crew. They won 1-0 over the New York Red Bulls. This is two legs, so if you don't know how this works, um, you get two legs, one in Columbus and then one in New York. And then whoever has the most goals between those two legs will win. And if it's tied, then whoever has the most away goals between the tie will win the, will win the tie, will win the leg, It's the two legs itself. Um, so the crew are played the first leg and they won 1-0. So they gave up no away goals to the New York Red Bulls and they won the leg 1-0 itself. So if they go into New York and they score an away goal, then they'll be up 2-0. And then if New York Red Bulls make it 2-2, they'll have no away goals. So it would still the tiebreaker would still go to the crew. So if the crew score a goal in New York, the Red Bulls need three goals to have any chance to win this two-legged playoff tie. So... Yeah, that's big for the crew. Um, a 1-0 is pretty much the perfect scoreline you could ask for. And playing against a really tough team, I talked about it coming into this. Um, I talked about it on another podcast t- coming into this. So this is not something I was expecting to see from the crew winning 1-0. Um, the New York Red Bulls are historically the best team ever to play in the MLS. Um, they scored the most amount of points in MLS history in the regular season. So obviously that doesn't make them the best team in MLS history, but... At least points-wise and at least statistics-wise, on paper, they were the best team in MLS this regular season. So the crew, a team that barely snuck into the playoffs, beat them 1-0. Yes, they were at home, but a great, great win for the crew. Um, The goal itself, um, the goal that made it 1-0 crew, was a beautiful goal. Um, A ball comes into Higuain. He flicks it on to Chelsea Zardes, and Chelsea Zardes just tucks it away. Um, It was scenes. It was a lot of fun there in the Nordic. People were going crazy. Beautiful goal there, um, and then Higuain, he has been the difference maker for this crew team as of late. Um, in the DC United single single game elimination playoff game against DC United Thursday night, um, so five days ago, he scored both goals for the crew. Um, he also scored his penalty that he took, so yeah, he's been one of the big difference makers for the crew lately. Um, he gets those two goals, he gets the assist last night. He actually didn't play the first 45 minutes, he, was, he did not start the game. And he was subbed on after 45 minutes. I mean, he's kind of an older guy, so he just played on that Thursday night. So actually, Greg Berhalter does a good job of getting him some rest, but still giving him a whole 45 minutes to contribute. And the second he came on, you could just see this crew team was a completely different team. Um, They responded to him, and he did a great job at just beautiful through balls, uh, beautiful passes. The pass to Zardes for the goal itself was a beautiful pass. So he kind of just changes the whole dynamic of this team. Um, He's a really creative guy, and he has a lot of creative touches, so... 
he was a big influence in this game, and I think without him, I don't know if they win this game 1-0. And then, oh, I, I didn't even add this to my notes, but I forgot to talk about it, but Zach Steffen, um, the goalkeeper for the crew, he's also the goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team for good reason. He played wonderfully uh, that Sunday night. He got a few saves in the beginning of the game that were good saves, and he had some, he had some good moments, but in the, it was a 93 minutes in this game, uh, three minutes added on at the end of the 90 minutes, and I think around the 92nd minute or so, he made a brilliant save, basically the last play of the game. Um, a header is headed down to his left-hand side and is going in. It's the perfect header. It's low. It's driven. And Zach Steffen reaches behind him and barely saves this ball and then even gets gets up and picks it up. So an amazing, amazing save from Zach Steffen. Um, without that save, it's going to be 1-1. So it's going to be tied, and the New York Red Bulls would have an away goal. So that save right there was huge from Zach Steffen. And overall, this is just a huge result. I won't be mad if the crew go on and lose in New York. Um, like I've said before on this podcast, I'm just happy with I was happy with them making the playoffs and happy with just the crew being saved in general. But yeah, I mean, if they do win this tie against the Red Bulls, all bets are off. They could win the MLS Cup because this is one of the best teams in the MLS. Like I said, they scored the most points in regular season history this year. So this will probably be the hardest team they will play in this playoff. So if they beat them, then anything can happen here. So yeah, two more things I wanted to jump into one was something I actually missed a little bit and that is the Cincinnati Bearcats football team they actually played this weekend and they played in a pretty big game they played in the American Athletic Conference um, and they beat Navy 42 to 0 so now Cincinnati football is sitting at uh, 8 and 1 um, that's really solid for them they were a team that was pretty bad last year I think like 3 and 9 or so 4 and 8 I'm not 100% positive but a big win for them. They don't just beat a good... I mean, Navy's a tough team to blow out. Um, I think Notre Dame just played them last weekend and won by maybe 21 points. So uh, Cincinnati goes out there and beats Navy by 42 points. That's a really solid win for them. 8-1, and one, the college football playoff committee rankings are tonight. Maybe Cincinnati could even be ranked. Um, that could be something to keep an eye on. If they continue to win, I think they will get ranked at some point. And uh, I think so they're 8-1, and one, so they played nine games. I think their last two games of the season are South Florida and uh, UCF, so Central Florida. If they win both of those games, they're going to probably win the American Athletic Conference. And if they win the American Athletic... I think whoever wins the American Athletic Conference will most likely be the team that gets into the New Year's Six Bowl um, for the team that is not in the Power Five. The best non-Power Five team, basically, is how uh, that works. So that was UCF last year. Obviously, they went on to beat Auburn. But Cincinnati is 8-1. They're one of those teams that could get that New Year's Six Bowl berth. Um, a few other teams that could do it uh, is... Central Florida, of course, is the highest-ranked non-Power 5 team right now, but they'll play them, so they'll get their shot at them. Um, I think South Florida's up there. Um, obviously, Cincinnati, who we're talking about, is up there. A few other teams are up there, but yeah, so really exciting stuff for Cincinnati football. Luke Fickle seems to have them going down there in Cincinnati. And uh, talking about Cincinnati, that kind of leads me into the next thing I wanted to get into, and that is basketball. Basketball starts tonight, actually, um, but for Ohio teams, it will start tomorrow, and the two biggest Ohio sports, uh, at least Ohio basketball teams, will be playing uh, each other tomorrow. Ohio State uh, will take on Cincinnati in Cincinnati tomorrow at 6 p.m., so that's something I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, Ohio State basketball this year, they're not expected to be the greatest. Most people have them in around 8th in the Big Ten. Um, I think they might surprise a few people, be a little bit better than 8th in the Big Ten, and I think they'll probably make the playoffs and if they do make, or not the playoffs, sorry, they'll probably make the uh, tournament. I'm so used to talking about football here. They'll probably make the uh, tournament. 
And I think they'll probably be like, a, I think they'll sneak into the tournament, maybe a 9, 10, 11 seed, maybe win one game in the tournament, but no more than one game, probably losing that second round if they don't lose in the first round. Um, so I think they got a chance to be a tournament team, which would be something to watch this year. And if they want to be a tournament team, games like tomorrow night for Ohio State will be big games, uh, taking on Cincinnati team that is probably better than them. Um, not something you're used to as an Ohio State football fan, seeing teams in Ohio be better than you. But that is the case with basketball. Xavier and Cincinnati, at least as of late, have been better programs. And overall, Xavier and Cincinnati are really good basketball programs. So they probably won't be the favorite tomorrow. I'm not 100% sure. Actually, I could probably just look that up right now. But yeah, big game. Um, of course, this is an Ohio sports podcast, so I can't be super biased. Um, this is actually, I think, the first time two Ohio teams have played each other since I started this podcast, so that'll be kind of fun. So let's see here, Ohio State versus Cincinnati basketball. Um, see if I can find a line. If not, whatever, but at least try. Well, I don't see anything here, so not a big deal, but I would assume Cincinnati is going to be favored tomorrow. So that'll be something to look forward to. Can Ohio State pull the upset? It'll be on ESPN2, actually, and it'll be at 6 p.m. tomorrow night in Cincinnati, whatever they call their place, Fifth Third Arena. Yeah, so big deal tomorrow. I know uh, my good friend JT and my other good friend Justin, uh, JT's the one that does the other podcast with me, will be there tomorrow. And then Justin, my other good friend, is actually a Cincinnati fan, so that'll be fun. Um, so JT will be there, uh, my good friend, so... Yeah, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the start of basketball season in general. And uh, on my next podcast Thursday, I'll probably get into the game. I think either Thursday or Friday will be my next podcast. So that day I'll get into this game in general. I'm talking about my next podcast, a little bit of uh, house, housekeeping for the podcast. Uh, my next podcast, I'll have Matty Ice or Matt Hayes from 97.1 The Fan. He is the producer for Carpenter and Rothman, 12-3 on 97.1 The Fan. And he's also just a really cool guy. He knows a lot about Ohio State football. He does uh, Locked On Buckeyes with Beam, who I just had on, was that, I think two weeks ago I had Brandon Beam from 97.1 The Fan on. He's one of the two co-hosts uh, with Brandon Beam of Locked On Buckeyes. You can find it on Apple Podcasts if you want to listen to that. Um, so, yeah, I'll have him on. That will be a lot of fun. He's a really cool guy, really funny. So maybe he'll bring some humor to this podcast for the first time. It's hard when I'm just talking to myself to be too humorous, but. Yeah, so I'll have uh, Matty Ice or Matt Hayes from 97.1 The Fan on here, I think Thursday, to talk Ohio State football. We'll probably jump into the Nebraska game a little bit, but it will be Thursday by then and two days away from the Ohio State at Michigan State. So we'll talk a lot about that game coming up and what, we look, what we're going to be looking to see from that game, Ohio State in East Lansing against Michigan State. That's going to be a big game this weekend. Other housekeeping for the pod, um, we're sitting around over 100 listens or so, 20 or so people listening per podcast. It's not bad for uh, just being about three weeks in or so. So I appreciate all the people who are listening. Um, it's cool that I'm already having some people from Nice M.1 The Fan on. That's more just to do with the connection I, connections I have than this being such a big podcast or anything like that. But uh, yeah, so it, we're off to a good start. I think like seven ratings on Apple. And once you get to five, then you actually get like a rating on Apple. And all of them have been five-star reviews. So thanks to my friends and family who have done that. I'm sure no one just randomly listening has done that, but... Still cool, five-star podcast, having people on from 97.1 The Fan, over 100, I think like 150 or so listens already through like six or seven podcasts, so not doing too bad. Um, so a lot of fun to just to make this. Um, yeah, so if you're listening on Apple, please give me your review, and just thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Ohio versus the World.